Wow. It's Christmas time, isn't it? Hallelujah. One of my favorite times of the year. You know, I like that funky little Christmas song we just sang. I like that funky little Christmas song. Now, I, sh I, the, the, I haven't paid attention to who wrote it. Who wrote that song? It's a hill song. Okay. Is it on YouTube? Okay. Because uh, I'm thinking I got some friends down in the Caribbean who would really like to have that. They probably don't even know it exists. That would be a good song to play in the Caribbean or anywhere tropical in Jamaica. They would like that a lot. But anyway, it is Christmas time. And um, tell people about Jesus. And tell people about what he's done for you. But do it in a simple way. I'm going to talk today. Today I want to talk about Jesus, and I want to talk about some very simple things. And it's kind of going to be a mixture of some things I've thought about this past week. And it's going to be kind of a mixture about who we are here at Providence and how we approach things. Because in case you haven't noticed, we're different. And, and I tell people that we don't need to make a God out of different. But what we try to do here is we try to follow what the Lord is doing and saying. We have a, a different kind of worship, a different kind of atmosphere. We have a different kind of church. Um, really, and, and this is just kind of for information, but really, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a big home church. It's kind, of like a, it's kind of like family. And we've had a lot of people come and go. We've had the opportunity to minister to lots and lots and lots and lots of people. We had some new people here Friday night, and they got ministered to, and I think they'll be coming back, but that's their decision and their choice. We try not to be pushy on people. We try not to make people do anything. What we try to do here is to create an environment where a person can encounter the Lord and begin to follow the, um, the leadings of the Lord in their life, okay, and allow people to find their path. Now, there is only one way to God, and that's through Jesus, okay? But if you notice it on your path and on your journey, sometimes you wobble a little. Have you ever noticed it on your path and on your journey that uh, sometimes you're, you may take the wrong road? And have you ever journeyed that sometimes you have to back up? And come back to where you are and take off going again. Well, that's 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 life. That's real. We 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 really don't try to paint a picture of God and Jesus where people have to live under the false assumption that they need to be perfect in order to get God to love them. Because we firmly believe that it's all about the grace of God and about his mercy and his love. And uh Brother Wayne has done a, a real good job, and, and he's, he's, become, God, he's become turned on to grace, and he's got good grace books in there. And if you, if you want to if, if know about some grace resources, see Brother Wayne. They make excellent Christmas gifts, too, don't they, Brother Wayne? And, yeah. And <laughs> well, you can't beat that now, can you? But people... People need to know, well, I'm going to try to be gentle to say this. 
we have been on a search for the real way to live for Jesus. And we've been surprised along, the, along our journey. And um, we've realized that we have put, we, and when I say we, not just, not, not, not Providence in particular, but, but uh, the Western church as a whole, we really put restrictions on people that, 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 that's, that aren't healthy. And there's been a lot of false teaching. I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to, it's going to kind of be a ramble today. But I hope that the Lord will make sense out of it because there's some things, I, there's some things I want to say. It's some things I think you need to hear. And there's some things that the Lord wants to say to you. And so as anytime, anytime any of us get up here and speak, you know, you judge what we say. And you judge it by the word. Now, I want to go to Matthew 11 today and we'll start with the word. Matthew 11. I'm going to have emphasis down uh, probably in verse 25 through 30. But Matthew 11 is, 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 is all about Jesus was teaching and he was speaking to some people in the cities that his disciples or the apostles were raised in. They'd been apart by themselves. Spent some time together. And then so Jesus went down into the cities and they, he was with this group of people and he was teaching and some of John's disciples came in. Now, now this was after the time at which John had been put in prison and he was awaiting to be, have his head taken off. And he sent these disciples to Jesus to ask a specific question. And the question was, he said, was this, Lord, are you the one who was to come or do we look for another? And he was talking about Messiah. Are you the Savior? Or do we look for another? And Jesus said, you, t you tell John this, that uh, the deaf are healed, the blind see, and the dead are raised to life. And then he begins to talk about the ministry of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's ministry was one of repentance. John, John came in the wilderness. He, he, he came fast upon the gospel scene in the New Testament in the wilderness. And, and his message was repentance and the kingdom of God. And it's interesting, when Jesus came along, his message was just like John's the Baptist. He taught on repentance and things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And that today is what we need to hear. We need, we need to have teaching on repentance and things pertaining to the kingdom of God. It is amazing to me. It is, it is absolutely astounding to me how that those, simple, those two simple little things sort of, in a way, get lost in, in, um, in what we say. And even, even well-intending, perhaps, Christian people have, have made all kind of, tried to make all kind of paths to God, to Jesus. Through the, you know, they've just tried to make all kind of paths and, and, um, and really have, have, have missed, to a degree, the value of teaching on repentance. Did you know that no one can come to God the Father except through the Son, Jesus Christ, and they have to come by means of repentance? Now, I'll say something that may shock you, but there's not going to be one single person in heaven who hasn't repented of their sins. And there's going to be a lot of people in heaven who have repented a million billion times. <laughs> you know what? I think I'm going to be in that line. Because my repentance ain't happened just once. It happens many times a day. You follow me around during the course of the week and you'll find me say, Oh God, I messed up. Help me, Jesus. And you know, the grace of God is seen in, in, 
in the way God brings us to repentance. He sends His Holy Spirit out there to begin to woo us, to convict us, to work in us. We don't even know it part of the time. But as people who are saved begin to look back on their experience before Christ and after Christ, they'll begin to see there were little things in their life where, where some mysterious force, if we can use that word, was changing their thoughts and attitudes and, and making them uncomfortable with certain things and causing them to pay attention to, to things that would be considered spiritual and ask, ask those really big questions. Does, does God really exist? Why do I feel the way I feel? Why am I now uncomfortable here and, and I'm kind of more drawn to this over here? Well, that's, that's the Holy Spirit. What, what we refer to as wooing us. And I'll tell you, he's out there doing a big job today. He's doing a big work today wooing people. And he's preparing people for the great harvest and the end gathering. He's preparing this world for the climactic end to its history. And you and I are, are living in some of the most exciting times in the world. And we're on the winning team. And as bad as the economy looks, as, as, as mysterious as the unemployment figures are, that we know 8%? What's this? With all of the chaos in the earth? I'm going to tell you, we're still on the winning team. We're, we're, we're in the victory camp. And God's not created you and He's not called you into this place. He's not, he's not placed you in this life at this period in time for you to be defeated, for you to be depressed, for you to be without any means or method whereby you can, you can participate with Him in His program. He's given you all the means and all the gifts necessary. If you've got Jesus living in you, you've got everything you need. We're learning through grace and through, uh, through, uh, through the revelation of the Lord that we don't have to beg God to come be with us. He's here all the time. He's in us. I don't have to seek after holiness. I am the righteousness of God in Him. I'm not a pauper. I'm an heir with Jesus Christ. He's my brother. Everything He's got, I got. I taste a little bit of it now, but I'm going to become fully aware of it whenever I leave this earth. And I'm telling you, I'm leaving this earth for something a lot better than what we have. But what we have now is, is good enough for me. And I don't need to be concerned about all the, all the pearly gates and the streets of gold and the mansions and the rocking chairs and the, and the perfect cornbread cooking in heaven. I don't have to be concerned about that. That's going to take care of itself. What I need to be concerned about is, is, is you, me, my family, your family. I need to be concerned about the lost. I need to be concerned about my neighbor. I need to be concerned about the things that touches the heart of God. And that's what I need to be after and about. I need to concentrate on those things and just, just ask God, God, where, where, can I, where can I work with you? Show me what you're doing. See, that's what Jesus did. People think that Jesus, when he went across, when, when, he, would, when, he, when he would go apart to pray, that he was, he was developing some kind of strategy. No, he was developing a relationship with his father. That's what he was doing. He didn't Jesus didn't have a strategy to win the earth. He had the heart of God and the love that was contained in his bosom. And the person who he was. He didn't have to strategize and lay out some kind of a plan. He got that out of a relationship with God. Listening to what God has to say. 
And, and it doesn't matter to me how far you are along in your process with God. He still speaks to you. And, and the thing that's just this, this in you and churning and turning that's, that's bringing up all this stuff, those deep things, that's not by accident. That's what God's putting there. And He's teaching you to hear His voice and to cultivate the courage and the faith enough to go out and, and do what He wants you to do. It's simple. It's not hard. But today in, in Christian circles, there has to be some sort of a five-step program and a formula to get you where you need to be. I don't believe that. I believe God has the full capacity to get you where you need to be. All you have to do is be responsive and obedient to what He says, and I promise you, you'll wind up where you're supposed to wind up. There's not, this thing is not designed to be a struggle. But Jesus, as, as John's disciples came in, and as they began to ask Him this question, He responded to them, and then He told them, He said, What do you think about John? Did you come out here to see some reed blown in the wind? No. He said he came here fasting and people called him a devil. The son of man came eating and drinking wine and you called him a glutton and an alcoholic. You see, the perception of the world to who we are and what we do and to Jesus is always skewed because they don't have an understanding. And it's God's heart to be able to open the eyes of their understanding. And he's going to use us to do that. You've got friends and you've got neighbors, you've got family members, you've got co-workers, you've got people that you're going to meet tomorrow. Maybe, maybe it's in the form of a customer, maybe it's in the form of somebody you just bump into, I don't know. But God's got a plan for you and people tomorrow. Go for it. But don't let the conditioning of your former experience, especially if you've been in church a long time, don't let the conditioning of some of the things you've heard shape your destiny in the Lord. I'm trying to find something here and I can't find it. Maybe it's on this other one. Ah, there it is. I'm going to kind of start here and then we're going to go to some words of Jesus. Okay, there. It's trying to run away from me. Look at there. It's doing it again. Can you believe that? Oh, my goodness. Y'all bear with me. This is something a friend of mine put up this morning. And uh, here it is right here. Huh. Take that devil. The devil messing with my Facebook. Don't that bother you that the devil messes with your Facebook? Something that you need to pull up? I like Facebook, I'm just telling you. Jim Palmer. This is what Jim said. And I, all this will make sense, I think, toward the end of the message if it's not making sense now. He said that he put out 14 religious ideas to earn, learn, and disappear from your life and your world. I'm going to say that again. 14 religious ideas to unlearn and disappear from your life and world. Number one, there's something incurably wrong with you. Number two, your humanity is the problem. I don't have a problem with my humanity. I have a problem with my sin. Ah, but there's, Jesus has provided a solution for that. Okay. Number three, it's about the afterlife, not the here life. That's the reason I don't care about that perfect cornbread in heaven. God, I care less about it.
Number four, mistrust that you most mistrust what you most deeply think and feel. That's just another statement from the enemy to uh, cause us to not listen to the voice of the Lord. Divide up the world into the sacred and the secular. Don't question what you're told. Divide up the world into us and them. Boy, how many of us are guilty with that? Let fear be your motivation. We've not been given a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Don't be afraid of anything. Fear the Lord, but don't you fear anything else. Reverence Him is the word for fear. Reverence the Lord. Don't let fear be your motivation. Obey the shoulds. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, make your being right about God the true goal. Number 11, the world is too long gone to be healed and transformed. Mm. Yeah, that's a big one. Number 12, love people in theory only. What? How can you do that? If I tried to love my wife in theory only, we would not have made it over 30 years. If I tried to love you in theory only, we wouldn't have made it here working on 13 years. Ooh, 2013, Natasha. How about that? I didn't realize that. We were founded in 2000. Jesus, have mercy. There's something prophetic going on there. Who I get chill bumps just thinking about it. <laughs> Don't you just get... It just goes all up and down your back. Raises the hair on the back of your neck. Number 13, have a but for grace, a B-U-T. I thought I'd spell that for you. Number 14, judge and condemn what you don't understand. Those are 14 things you must not do. Those 14 things, if properly applied to your life, will change your, your whole paradigm, your whole outlook, your whole, your whole understanding of the Christian life. And see, that's what God has done to us here. He's messed up our ideas of the Christian life, and he's messed them up in a good way. And we're all about sharing those things with others because we believe God wants to mess other people up too. He's all about messing people up. Janie and I were talking last night. We went to uh, my brother-in-law's birthday party up near uh, Wrightsville, Georgia. And we were talking about, we came along into this wonderful spirit-filled life in 2000. You know? Um, and I told her, I said, you know, I wish I could have found this earlier. I really do. I, I, I really do. Can you imagine? And, and, and a lot of you are Johnny-come-latelys too. We talked about and we sort of tried to imagine what our life would be like and where we would, we would be, you know, right now if, if we had come into this as teenagers. But that didn't happen. But I love the journey that I'm on, and I, I hope you enjoy the journey you're on because it's one of discovery. In some cases, it's one of experimentation, but it's one of uncovering the truth. And we ask people not to just, don't just receive what we say 
what, why we say it. And, and don't just receive what anybody else has said just because of their saying it. Go to the Word and prove it out. All right, back to Matthew 11. And so after Jesus had spoken to them about uh, the wicked and perverse generation that they were living in, because a lot of people didn't believe the, the words that were spoken by John the Baptist, and they didn't believe the words that were spoken by the other prophets. They didn't, un, they didn't believe the message of Jesus either. I mean, they had the Son of God standing right before them, the one who was going to be crucified for the sin of the world. And they, just, they thought he was an alcoholic and a, and a glutton, you know? They misunderstood who he was. They, they would not believe he was who he said he was. And he said it's going to be more tolerable in the days of, of Sodom than for this generation. That's strong words, y'all. More tolerable for Sodom? Golly molly. But see, here's the thing. When John the Baptist came along teaching and when Jesus came along teaching right in behind him and he was giving revelation about who he was and, and his, his task on earth and, and what he was doing with the Father. When, when he came along and gave that, he gave, he gave the information out. And then later the apostles in the early church gave that information out to, to the masses and to nations and, and, to, and to the population of the, of the world, basically. You know, the more information and the fuller the information and the greater the knowledge and revelation of the Lord that a person receives, the greater that person's responsibility and accountability is. And so today, we have an opportunity. And not only us, but, but every person who, who's called by the name of Jesus, we have an opportunity. To go back into the world and tell them about Jesus. Because the world we're living in is a lot more lost than it was 10 years ago. And it's, it's significantly more lost than 20 years ago. Each decade as a baby is born and they grow to be 10 years old. You know, it doesn't take... It, it doesn't take very long. For example, um, probably one of the zeniths of the Christian age was somewhere, in terms of what, in recent history anyway, was the time somewhere around World War II. Now, buddy, if you don't think bombs dropping all around you won't make you come and get right with Jesus, I don't know what will. And the whole world was terrified of Nazi Germany and Japan. Because they didn't know when the next bomb was going to drop and their loved ones going off if they would never come back. And there was just all kinds of chaos and horror associated with that time. And it brought people to, it brought people to God. You know, if, if you were in a, in a bunker or riding in a tank or if you was an infantryman on foot charging up one of the sands of one of those Pacific islands out there, I'm going to tell you what, buddy, I don't see how there could be an atheist in the crowd. You know, they had church services on, when they had prior knowledge, they would isolate themselves on these boats and stuff and other things. And as they were being carried to the shoreline, they'd have church services the night before. I'm telling you. And so, 
our country. You know, people had tracts and they had meetings and the Salvation Army was at work and there was all these great things going on in our nation. And Jesus was being revealed and he was being taught and people were getting saved and just, just coming in. And, and it was sort of an astounding thing when you met somebody who was not a believer. And it was almost impossible to meet someone who didn't, had not heard about Jesus anyway. And now you can go in this town and find people who, Jesus who? Who is he? I don't know him. In Jessup, Georgia. And so right now, there is, we're coming into the age where there is going to be the greatest opportunity in modern history, if not the history of the earth, to participate and engage in changing the world by changing one life at a time. Just introduce people to Jesus. Say, come go with me. Let's go, let's go somewhere where you can hear about Jesus. Here's what Jesus did for me. Just give your little testimony, two-minute testimony. You know, something like this. You know, Man, listen, um, I was messed up just like you. Hey, girl, I was messed up just like you. Or worse. I did this, 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 and, and I met Jesus. I heard about Jesus, and, and uh, now my life has changed. Of course, I'm going to tell you something. When he's changed your life that way in, in today's world, there's people out there desperate. They see it on you. They can see it on your face. They can hear it in your voice. They can be around you just for 10 seconds, and if they knew you three, you know, three years ago or 30 years ago or whatever, they can be around the new you for just, just three minutes. And boy, it's obvious. What's the difference here? And see, God opened up the door for you to do that in a simple way. And so we have a great opportunity. There was an opportunity in front of the masses of Jesus' day, but they wouldn't hear him. Some did, some didn't. But here's what Jesus said after he got through talking about what he was talking and he's, he was talking about repentance. Repentance is, is, is the chief thing that people need to hear about because there won't be one single person in heaven who hasn't repented. Period. I'm sorry. And it's just the way it is. Eleven twenty-five. At that time, and after what he got through talking about that, at that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them unto little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So Jesus is making the transition now. From the gospel of repentance being preached, he's making the transition now to you and I, who, are, who has received the revelation of who God is by Jesus, His Son. So repentance and revelation. Here's the way, here's the way, here's the way God's, God, God works in our life. We, come to, we respond to Him. We respond to the work of the Holy Spirit. We respond to the message of Jesus. And our lives are changed. We talk about Him coming into our heart. And, 
and, and all this stuff. And, and that's part of the process. That's part of the, that's part of the repentance process. And then the revelation process because you have the Holy Spirit resident in you when you're saved. And you begin to get this revelation about who Jesus and God is. And you begin your journey. It's all, about, it's all about the process of learning who He is. Listen, those of you who've been following the Lord for years and years and decades and decades, do you know more about Him now than you did the first day you were saved? Yes, yes of course. And that's the way it should be. The Jesus I know and love today, He's always loved me the same. But I've not always had the same understanding of His love. I've never always had the same understanding of His person. I've never always had the same understanding of how He's active in my life and what He does in my life. That's becoming clearer as I grow older. And so yes, growing into a relationship with Him based on the work of God in your life and the revelation of who He is. And see, you need the revelation of who He is for your personal experience. I can talk about my personal experience all day. And that's well and good. That's great for testimony purposes. But God wants you to have the same thing with Him for you. And so as I learn about Him, <laughs> I have more material. Because i got stories piled up so deep. Some of them funny and some of them ain't. I, one thing I got, one thing I'm learning and I'm gaining is experience. So here it is. Repentance and revelation. And then Jesus says this. He just makes this pronouncement after he's spoken about all these things. And he's answered the question of John's disciples. And he's told people of the impending judgment. And he talks about repentance. And then he talks about revelation and, and, and relationship. This is what he says in verse 28. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. In the complete Jewish Bible, the word weary is translated struggling. And so Jesus, as He gives His invitation, we talk about the invitation at the end of a message, which is good and legitimate. You know, I've... I've no, I won't even go there. This is the invitation. This is better than anything man has ever come up with. Let me go ahead and say what I was going to say. And, and please, I don't want you to misunderstand this. I have struggled with the invitation all my life in ministry. Let me give you a little history on it. Here's some things you want to learn, okay? Because, and, and I love the church I was born in and raised in. I, I love that denomination of people. But God moved us out of that. And with those dear sweet people, for fear they would sound Arminian, their invitation... At the end of the service, they would. this is what they would do. We now open the doors of the church to receive members in any way the gospel authorizes. <coughs> and 
right here, in case y'all didn't hear me, right here is the crux of the, of, of the single biggest problem or the singest, big old, biggest unbiblical thing, one of the biggest unbiblical things of contemporary church in our day. I struggled with that because I couldn't find it in the Word. You know what Peter did when he was preaching on the day, on the day of Pentecost? He said, repent and save yourself from this untoward generation and be baptized for the remission of sins. That is, is, is thing one. It's not about joining a church. It's not about conforming to a, to a creed and a protocol. That's not it. This thing, the thing of salvation is between you and Jesus. And it'll always be between the person and Jesus. Now, the other thing about having this idea, let's just carry this on. It's about joining the church thing. The other thing is, is about this baptism thing. Okay? You don't have to be baptized to be saved. You know what baptism is? It's the answer of a clear conscience toward God. I've baptized lots of people who we didn't baptize into a church. They were baptized because they were saved. They wanted to be baptized and and, and they might have went to First Baptist this or Methodist this or Pentecostal that or they might not even have had a church. But they just knew they'd been saved and they wanted to follow the, the word of the Lord and be, and be baptized. That's a good thing. Baptism is the answer of a clear conscience toward God. And one of the problems with the church today is they have connected baptism with church membership. In most churches today, you cannot be baptized without becoming a part of that church. Now, you show me where that is in the Word. And, a person, if a, and, and so a person thinks, well, this is just the way it's supposed to be. Well, no, that's not the way it's ever been intended. What about Philip and the eunuch in the wilderness? You know what that was? That was non-church baptism. If somebody wants to be baptized and be a part of the church, hey, that's great. But I remember one day back in that old Baptist denomination whenever I got some some of the more progressive thinkers of the preachers around, and we began, I asked a question one day, and boy, I was scared of this. It's this question you just didn't ask in mixed company or a big crowd because uh, they would, I'm telling you, they had a rope with a noose in it already waiting for you. I asked them this. I said, I said, is there ever a place where you can baptize somebody and them not be a member of the church? And they kind of looked around. Like this, and they said, Yes, it's called non church baptism. And they cited the reference of the eunuch. And see what prompted this whole thing in me. I had a young man come and he wanted to be baptized, but he was just kind of passing through. He was not going to be here. And his concern was if you baptize me, I'm going to be a member of your church. And it got me to thinking, I needed a quick answer. So I asked two of these pastors and, uh, whom I trusted, and they said, Yes. They said, and they finally said this, that baptism was never meant to be a prerequisite for church membership. Boy, you talking about making me feel good? I went and found that feller. You know where he was baptized? He was baptized in a bathtub. And he was not fully immersed either because he was too big for the bathtub. You know what we decided we would do? 
I looked at the bathtub, I looked at him, he, he was just oversized. They just, I mean, you'd have had to have an a, a eight-foot jacuzzi for him. I said, come here. And so, so he knelt down right at, we filled that thing just as full as we could get it. He knelt right down beside that bathtub. And I said, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, I baptize you, my brother. And I grabbed the back of his head and I popped it under the water. And he come up, he was happy and I was happy too. All his head was dripping with water, but he was dry everywhere else. Okay. Oh. <laughs> About the painting? Yeah. Yeah, he, that guy got it in the shower, didn't he? That's, that was, a, that was a, uh, a large sprinkle. Large sprinkle. You know how, and on this thing of baptism, do you know how? Do you know how, and this is another question that always bothered me. Do you know how they baptized all those 5,000 people on the day of Pentecost? All those thousands of people? I got to thinking, I said, my God, they were just 12 apostles. How in the world does 12 apostles baptize all these thousands of people? They'd be war slammed out. There are not enough hours in the day to baptize all these people. You just think about it. You multiply thousands and thousands by this statement. I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then you put them underwater and you pull them back up. You know how, you know how tired you'd be? And so I began to ask more questions. Went back to these same two people. <laughs> and I, I began to do some research on my own. You know how they baptized all those people? You know what the typical means of, of baptism was then? It was not total immersion, that's for sure. It was, not so, it was not somebody laying hands on you and baptizing you. They would go into the river, and by some method or means, it was self-baptism. They would make a statement over that crowd of people and they would squat down and walk through the water and just and get wet. Now, you know, when you begin after this thing has been a part of your life for all your life and you've had questions about it and you've been uncomfortable with it, buddy, when the revelation of truth and freedom begins to come along and, and dispel all that and you all of a sudden learn it's okay... And this is, this is and what you've been taught in your traditions, although well-intended and well-meaning, and some of them are good, but some of them are not good. And you began to learn that, that, that it's okay, and that some of this stuff ain't God, some of it is, but some of it's not, and you began to learn how to slice through all that stuff, I'm going to tell you, buddy, it'll make you happy. It'll give you freedom and joy. It'll open up a door for you to be able to, to participate fully with the Lord and hear Him more clearly. Now, I won't even go into the thing about women ministers today because that's a whole other pot. We'll save that for another day. okay? But we have lady ministers here, and it's legitimate. Anyway, okay. Come unto me, all of you who are struggling and burdened, and I will give you rest. Are you struggling? And the word struggle, whenever I hear that word, it's like, it's like, it's like you're in a wrestling match. You just, 
You know, it's like Jacob wrestling with the angel. It's like me would be wrestling in a wrestling match. It's, it's, almost like a, it's almost like a fist fight. It's something you can't get away from. It's like, it's like uh, laying down and being attacked by an anaconda or something, just being all wrapped up and you can't get away. Struggling with something, whatever it is. It could be, it could be sin. It could be depression. It could be any number of things that you just can't seem to get away from. And you've tried every single effort of your own to get away from it, and it does not work. Now, the other thing is this. Weary. Just, you just get tired sometimes. You know what happens when somebody gets tired? They want to quit and give up. And people who are generally tired, spiritually, they're at the place where they just want to give up and cave in. I mean, you, just, you, you, you could only go so far and you've got to have help somewhere. And you pretty soon you get to the place where you realize that you can't do it on your own. And see, that's the glory of the Lord when He comes to you in your life. And after you've struggled and you've tried to fix your messes and you've, you, you, you're weary from the journey and you can't tote these problems and burdens anymore, that's the glory of the Lord because He shows up one day and He says, I'll take this from you. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You know, that's like a cold drink of water to somebody in the desert. And sometimes being brought to that place, you hear it, truth comes in. And they may not even have any idea of theology or church, don't know anything about nothing. But if somebody comes along and just a man named Jesus and he offers to take it from you, say, you can have it. Here it is. I don't know much about you or what you're doing. I don't even know if what I'm doing is, is, is the proper way to do things. But here it is. I'm tired of it. I can't handle it anymore. You have got to do something. And you know what? Jesus always does. <laughs> I have never met a person who wanted Jesus to take their load, but Jesus hasn't took it. I've never known of a person who wanted rest, but what Jesus hasn't given it to them. See, there is a, there is a glorious exchange with all this. And he talks about the exchange in the very next verse. All of you, Take up my yoke and learn from me because I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for yourselves. Oh, what is this? I give up all my struggling and I give up all my weariness and I start working with Jesus in His yoke. You see, I give up, I give up the stuff I can't do for something I can do with Jesus. How many of y'all come from a farm background? Are you all from the country? How many times have you ever seen like a like a yoke of oxen, or have you ever seen a have you ever seen a a, a, a buggy pull with with two horses or four horses? How many of y'all ever seen the Budweiser wagon on TV? Ah, now we got some understanding people here. I read a thing one time on how many tons that Budweiser wagon was. And they had them eight horses. I think it's eight. Eight Clydesdales. They'd hook them up and they would just prance high, you know, and it's just a beautiful looking thing with that Dalmatian dog and those two guys dressed in old school garb. You know, and that big old wagon come along. We saw one down at Bush Gardens one time. And they look like it's not even behind them, but you know what? One horse couldn't do it. They ain't made a Clydesdale yet that could pull that several-ton wagon very far. 
But when they yoke him up with eight other Clydesdales, you see, here's the thing about a Clydesdale. That's what they were bred for. That's what they were born for. That's what they were destined to do. Not to do it by themselves, but they're a special kind, a special breed. Yes, they're still a horse, but they're a different kind. They were, they were bred up and made to pull that wagon. And see, here's the thing about, here's the thing about uh, people who are just coming to know Jesus that they don't understand. You were made for working with Jesus. You were not made for working by yourself. You work by yourself, you can't get it done. You think it's on your own shoulders, you can never do it, you can never accomplish it by yourself. But you come into union with Jesus, and that's what this yoke represents. It represents union with Jesus. You come into this union with Jesus, and all of a sudden you find your purpose and your destiny. And you don't have to do it by yourself because you can't. you got somebody beside you, somebody in front of you, and somebody behind you helping you. And you don't have to steer the wagon. There's somebody on the wagon that's got the reins, and they're going to help steer it for you. And he gives you all kind of French benefits. He gives you a pretty little dog to look at, by the way. You know? And everything works together. He said, come into my yoke. Because it's easy and my bird's light. Compared to what you've been struggling with, that you can't do, come in here. I'm going to go with you. You see, Jesus has never once promised anybody that there wouldn't be a a burden, has he? He's never once promised a person they wouldn't have trouble. The difference is, is when, they, when a person yields to Jesus, it's a brand new deal. You've got him with you then. And he can't fail. Amen. Cannot fail. See, that's the beauty and the glory of grace. Why? Because I'm gentle and humble in heart. You know, his heart is set toward gentleness and humility and his heart will never deceive you or cause you harm. And you will find rest for yourselves. It's glorious. It's a good thing. So we don't want to burden you with anything that's not God. We want you to be in a place to always, every day, be wooed by the Holy Ghost and have Jesus at your side. I want you to have a place where, where you're not chained down with, with false requirements. We're, you know, we try to have an environment where people can learn of Jesus for themselves. And you know, if you've got questions, just ask us. We'll help you. And furthermore, we don't ask you to be perfect. We just ask you to listen to Jesus and get on the path. And follow him. Because there's nobody in this room can fix you. I'm not really going to try. But see, it's the thing about being in yoke with people. It's about learning to be in step. And letting the Lord do that.
any of this making sense? Is this okay? We just can't willy-nilly, you know, throw the Bible out the door and just, or just have at it. But I love the place in Scripture in the New Testament, I'll close with this, where um, they come up the question of circumcision and eating things pertaining to idols. And I'm going to tell you, it caused a problem. They had to have a convocation of all the apostles in Jerusalem to attend and hear to the matter. And I'm going to tell you, right then, right then, the future of the church, what it would look like later, was at stake. And after they brought the question before the apostles, <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot said. Uh, and somebody needed a word from God. Here's the great thing about a prophetic word. James stood up. And he said, we should, I'm just going to put it in, in my language. He said, we should not ask the Gentiles to be circumcised. We should not. And, it, and, and it's pertaining to things strangled to idols, you know. They took the position that whatever, you know, whatever was clean was clean and go from there. But he said, we can't do this. But, no, they said they should abstain from things offered to idols and avoid sexual immorality but we can't cause them to be circumcised. And those things they didn't go beyond. That's simple, isn't it? Simple. I'm going to tell you, God's got something simple for you. It's simply good. Simply good. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that you're simple and that your invitation is the same. Just come. And so, Lord, let us be equipped and... Let us be prepared, Lord, with just our simple testimony of where we are today. And as people notice the difference and the anointing in our life, Lord, and they begin to inquire, or you begin to open a door, Lord, let us know where to go in. And we'll just give you glory for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, we thank you. We've been forgiven. We thank you that we have a, a, a destiny. We thank you, Lord, that we have a future. We thank you, Lord, that we're victorious. And we thank you, Lord, that you take us like we are in the middle of life and you begin to make us like him. So, Lord, just use us. We're so happy today with you. Lord, let us share that happiness with others. In Jesus' name, amen.